Man, blindness is hilarious. Welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Henry. And my name's John. And together we're Henry and John, connected via Skype. Over the internet. That's where all the trolls live. Is that what they mean by VoIP, voice over IP? And I believe IP stands for Internet Protocol? Yes, that's exactly what I've never heard of the term VoIP before. VoIP, VoIP? Voip, voip. Uh, John Voip. Uh, you ever think about a nested anagram? A nested anagram? Is that an anagram built into another anagram? Yeah, like Nora. Is that what's... The the North... What is Nora? Not a regular ATM. What would that wait, look like? Wait, that's Nora. Shit. So you did... You did wait, I, you just made a... Did you just make something up? Yeah, but like if you had a nested anagram, what would it mean? It would mean that you're shortening the last part of the word probably into another anagram. But it's like it's like pin number. That's personal identification number and the number stands for number used most bravely every remnant. I don't think that's what pin number stands for. Well, that's what number stands for. I don't think that's what number stands for. I don't think number's an anagram. I think it's just the word. Oh. Speaking of words... Hmm. Hey, guess what, John? What's up? One of the Zero Credit hosts... That didn't say the name of our show right. One of the Zero Credits hosts is now published in print. Oh, is it me? Uh, um, hmm... Mm, I don't know how to. Uh, how do I let you down easy? Ooh. Ooh. I think this. I don't. I don't see this going well for me as far as conversations go. I. I try to be a pretty good judge of of tone. Mm, mm, uh, John, I just. It's. I just. Okay, it's not you. Oh well, you know, gotta keep trying. Yeah, you know. Wait, are you trying? What to get published? Yes, I mean here and there. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, to just today I wrote uh, three pages. Three pages of D&D backstory? Mm-hmm. And uh, what did that entail? Uh, writing. You don't want to give us a little bit of like details about the backstory that you were writing? Oh, uh, as it turns out, it is both really easy and really difficult to write <laughs> a, a tribalistic religion from beginning to end. Wait, are you are you trying to do a backstory for like a character or a setting or just in general? Oh, for my character for sweet experience points. Oh man, you got to you got to eat up those experience points, dog. Yeah, I'm in uh I'm in the back of the pack for experience points and I got to get them sweet gemmos. Hey, you know what they say? The more gemmos you got, the more gemmos are hot. That's correct. So anyway, I'm I'm just going to go out there and say that, hey, I published a story. Oh, congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, you can find it in the latest issue of Rock and Sling. Rock and Sling? Yeah. What's that? It's a, it's a literary uh, magazine that kind of started off as like a... As a Christian literary journal, but then they've kind of broadened their scope a little bit. They say they're a journal of witness, but what they mean by witness is just truth. Hmm. And fiction is the lie that we use to tell the truth, so I think it kind of matches up. I, uh, I'll check it out. Where can people, uh, where can people find your published work if they didn't want to, uh, procure a copy in print? Oh, they probably have to get the copy in print. That's kind of how it works when you publish something. Oh, they don't have, like, an online repository? They, I, I don't think so. They've got an online website, but they don't really have like a back issue sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So you got to order it from them. Well, order it from them. Support the podcast. Support uh, the wonderful people at Rock and Sling. And uh, you can find my story, the Department of Lesser Gods, 
in the 11.2 issue. Now, what's a point mean when we're talking about a, a literary journal? Uh, so the point means that they basically, they probably, basically they probably, they probably let out two issues a year. And so point two will be the second issue of the current, of the year that they did. Ooh. So like 11 was probably 2006. So there's a point one, which is the early part of the year. And point two means it's the later part of the year. But uh, congratulations on uh, on getting published. Thank you. It, it, it's it's you know it's a weird story that actually involves our podcast. Hmm. Okay. Remember when we didn't have a Facebook page? Yeah. And then remember when I made us a Facebook page? Uh, kind of. You don't remember that suddenly we had a Facebook page? Oh, I do now. Okay. Uh, like three weeks after I made this Facebook page, uh, our, our Zero Credits Facebook page got a message from a person who worked at Rock and Sling and asking for me by name. And, uh, he, he was an editor at that magazine and he wanted me to send their, my story to them so they could look at it to see if they wanted to publish it. That's a roundabout way of getting in contact with you. But hey, look, all it goes to show is, Making that Facebook page paid off. It really did. And uh, maybe it also goes to show that you need a LinkedIn. Oh, I have a LinkedIn. I, I have, I, I, trust me, I've poured hours into that thing over the past few weeks. You've got a, you've got a SEO. I wonder if I could technically change my, my job on LinkedIn to podcast co-host. I, I say podcast host podcast host yeah because we're hosts and you don't call them co-presidents no but one is a vice president yeah but like they say you're you're more likely to be found if you have a position and I, i'm technically unemployed right now so i don't have a position so i don't know uh change your position to podcast host um published author <laughs> linkedin's a weird mysterious beast that Apparently can come in handy, but I've never heard of a single time where it's come in handy. Every time I've heard of it coming in handy, it sounds like a weird soulless experience where like, oh, well, it came in handy because I was able to like do some digging and find someone who worked for the place I wanted to work at so I could send them a pain letter. Yeah, and the thing is, you can't just directly contact anyone you want to unless you give LinkedIn money. Hmm. Because you you have to connect to somebody before you can you can send them a, a message. You cannot cold email anybody, just anybody. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know. It seems like a weird backwards business system. It's almost like the world of business connections is all about you know paying various gatekeepers to get your name out there. That's that's definitely what it seems like. But the the takeaway moment, the takeaway message of all this is. I'm published, so go check that out. Read my stuff. Tweet about it. Tweet Rock and Sling. They got a Facebook. Let them know you're reading their issue for me, for my story. And that, I don't know, helps out in the long run. And then make a LinkedIn for Henry, uh, so he'll have as many LinkedIn's as possible. Wait, are you telling them to make a LinkedIn account for me? Because I already have an account. Yeah, but I mean, you can have more than... If you have a lot of accounts, then you're, it's like a shotgun. Wait, wait, like a lot of accounts that are dedicated to me? Cause that just seems confusing. No, it's perfect. <laughs> Man, this, 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 this Henry guy, he's, his name is everywhere. We gotta hire him. He's like 12 people. Oh my gosh. Uh, that was the bit of news I was gonna drop on our listeners. So that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. And I mean, this is the, this is the first. Oh, we're making product. We're getting out there. I mean, we're trying to. I, I, I've been, I don't know if you've noticed, John, but I've been putting together some Photoshop ads as of late. Hmm. Have you, have you noticed those at all? I have. I would count those sort of, of like products that are being released into the world. See, and that's how we gotta make our start, Henry. Product. Yeah, that's what they say. You make a product, you sell it to a consumer, and then suddenly you're in, you, you got a million dollars, and then uh, you lose it all in stocks. And the world will be the path to your doorstep. 
And that's good because then you can get your mail uh delivered on time. Man, I am I'm going through a serious period of not getting my mail delivered on time and it is upsetting. Well, see, that's why you got to you got to hit the ground running. You got to you got to you got to have a marketable product. You got to SEO, you got to SHC, you got to always be closing and then everybody everybody gives you a gold watch and then it, that means you got to stop. When you stop at gold watch? Yeah, when you get your gold watch, that is the universe and the society's like sign telling you you've done enough. Uh, you're you're done for. We you're gonna go die now. Uh, a Vitor Singh, and uh, good luck. But what if you keep going? Oh, oh, I. What? What? There are tales of men who have continued past the gold watch. Okay, name one. Oh. Alexander the Great. Yeah, but he died at like the age of 30. Yeah, gold watch at 29. Well, see, he died because he didn't stop. You know, that that's 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 the cautionary tale there. Oh, okay. That that makes a lot more sense. Cuz once you stop, the fun don't stop. I just rhyme stop a stop. That's fine. It's a slant rhyme. Is it? Yeah. Just like fine and rhyme. Some people might just call it repetition. Eh, so I'll call those people redundant. Hey, John. What's up? How are you doing today? I'm okay. Just okay? Uh, yeah. Anything on your mind? Uh, you know, just, uh, just trying to simplify things. What do you mean by simplify things? I'm in a period of my life where I'm kind of moving a bunch of stuff around and trying to get settled in a new place and... Trying to get settled into a a routine that, honestly, I've had for the past six months, but I'm not really into yet. Well, it sounds like you need to, like, I don't know, uh, get a calendar? Um, I mean, I have a calendar. It's not really a time management thing. It's more like a, like a getting overwhelmed easily kind of thing. What's got you overwhelmed, buddy? You know, when you're moving into a place, it's very easy to think about, you know, the stuff you need, the the people, the fictional people you might impress, the the things that you want to convey. Whenever I move into a new place, all I can think about is I can't wait to shut the door and shut the rest of the world out of my new four-sided, like, asylum. That's not the right word, but you know what I mean. Um, Solitude hole. Yeah, solitude hole. What's the word I'm trying to think of? Uh, Fortress of Solitude. Sanctum. Sanctuary. Maybe Sanctum or Sanctuary, something like that. Hobbit Hole. You know, this place where the world can't get to you unless you let it. Yeah, and I mean, I think that that's an important part about living in a new place, but another part about living in a new place is you always have this almost unspoken pressure to reinvent yourself, or at least present yourself in a way that you weren't previously because you know if you had another place that was full of things that you thought maybe didn't represent you as well as you wanted them to you move into a new place you're like i'm gonna do it right this time i'm gonna live in a place that's really me and it's not gonna have any of the the stresses involved with like looking at things being like that's not truly me so like the tabula rasa thing you know you're starting over with a blank slate you got a new chance to define yourself and that's giving you some kind of pressure or pause yeah, because it's it's hard to define myself because it's it's no uh secret to anyone in my life that my current line of work I feel doesn't really represent me and it makes me uh I don't know, kind of miserable for that reason. Well here's what you do. You get you gotta buy a bunch of gold chains with your name on them mm. and just wear them around your neck. Oh, is that it? Yeah, that's it. It has nothing to do with your apartment because you see John Home is where your heart is, and how you define yourself is how you protect where your heart is. So just get giant nameplated gold chains to hang right over your heart, and then your heart will be protected, and then your home will be great. I think that works. I mean, it also will let people know your name. But I mean, something else that I've been thinking about, let's say in the in the realm of representation, is... You know, we have this this conception of people who um, kind of make it to the 40, 50, 60-year-old point in their life, and they haven't found work that, you know, kind of sustains them, you know, fulfill them in some way. And we always see these people with, you know, 
black ties and, and tan pants and male pattern baldness sitting at computers and, oh, I hate my life. It doesn't fulfill me. Yeah, and you, 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 you're, like, afraid of that becoming you. You don't want to be one of these tie-wearing bald men behind a computer who doesn't like their job because it doesn't fulfill them? Yeah, because I'm currently working a job that pays rent and pays rent easily, and it is the kind of job where if I kept doing it for the next 20 years, I could probably live at homeostasis and be totally comfortable. But, you know, a job should... Ideally, yes, a job should be enough to pay the bills and maybe a little extra so you can start saving up for whatever comes down the road, but you, you really... Ideally, you should like the job that you're doing, right? Yeah, that's that's what I think, but I mean, I guess probabilistically, most people don't enjoy what they do, right? I don't know. You know, I, I think a lot of people... I, I, there is a, a degree of, like, settling for a job, but I think a lot of people at least grow to like their job or at least grow to tolerate it. And, I mean, that's something that I thought would have taken effect in me over the last six months. And it hasn't? Not really. So I don't really know where to go from here. Well, you know what they say. Uh, there, there's time-honored sort of trappings that you're, you're going to fall into now because it doesn't look good if you if you don't stay at least a year with a company, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people want to see, like, two years at your first job, really. Uh, <laughs> so, it, it, you know, there are, like, outside circumstances, like if you're going to relocate or stuff like that. But it's it's just, like, I would say stick with it for at least a full year. You know, get that so you can say you've got one year experience in the field, at least, when you're looking for your next job. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, just kind of stick it out. Hopefully something about your job gets better. Although I do know you have to do, you know, you have to deny people their dreams on a daily basis. Yeah, it uh, definitely takes a takes a psychic toll on me that I'm trying to figure out how worth it it is. But I think that I had this conception going into it that uh, this idea that even if I was spending most of my waking hours in the day doing a thing that uh, didn't fulfill me and kind of uh, hurt my heart, that in the time when I wasn't doing that, I would be able to devote it to my creative interests and stuff like that. But I just find that over time, it's just making my creative interests feel like a chore. Yeah. And it's kind of sucking all the joy out of my life. Well, you don't want your creative interests to feel like a chore. I, I mean, what what about that? Is it just like you have to like schedule them to make sure you do them or something like that? It's scheduling to make sure I do them. It's it's mostly like I get off work and I don't I don't really have time to relax. And I mean relaxation's overrated, whatever, and I should view my creative outlets as my relaxation, but I don't really see it that way because I always treat stuff like this kind of like work. And I mean a lot of it is kind of like work because a lot of the things that you're into relaxation wise, like creativity wise, is this it's kind of strenuous thought stuff, you know, like writing or, or filming sketches or doing this podcast mm -hmm. so i you know it's just my greatest fear for like when i get a, a regular nine to five job is that i will do the job and i and i'll come home and be too exhausted to do anything else you know yeah and that's definitely the place that i'm finding myself in at least mentally and, and you that fear is what would motivate motivate me to actually like do something do something like motivational not motivational do something creative that to kind of like win back some of the hours that I'm selling away for my wages. Mm -hmm. So maybe you gotta be scared, you know? I mean, uh, for what it's worth, I am pretty scared, but... So, so use that fear to kind of motivate you, you know? Try to try to prevent that mental image of that 60-year-old guy who who's, hates his job but still goes to the same job. Use your fear to try to, like, change that image into an image that you, you want to see. And uh, just to be clear, never going to be that guy. Yeah, you know, but you you know that, but it's kind of like, if you don't do anything now, you might find yourself falling into those traps. Mm-hmm. And I, I do feel the transformation werewolf-like taking hold at times, where it's like, okay, I understand uh, that I'm not going to be that guy, but sometimes, like, weeks will disappear. That's like, that's exactly what happens, is weeks disappear, then months then you have kids, 
And it's like all that time just vanishes and you just become this guy who's been at the thing he hates for like 15 years. It's true. I mean, I, I've been up here four weeks and it, it really only feels like I've only been here for like three days. But that's I know that's not true. Time has a way of disappearing. So it's like you got to be proactive about it. And to that end, um, and I know I said that I was trying to be one of those people who does things rather than says things, but that doesn't really make for compelling podcast material. Yeah. I actually uh, watched a movie that uh, that's kind of having an effect on the way I live my life. Well, that sounds good. That sounds like something that's at least worth talking about. What movie did you see? It's called The Minimalists. The Minimalists? Yeah. What's that about? It's a kind of self-serving documentary directed by these two guys who uh, sell this. Don't sell this, but they, they are like pioneers in the minimalist philosophy, or at least modern minimalism. And generally, minimalism has kind of been taught as this, this militant uh, school of thought where, you know, you must get rid of the things that don't matter to you, uh, search only for utility, and in that utility, you'll find happiness, and they kind of preach a more uh, moderate minimalism, which I think resonates with people a lot more. Are these the same people who would probably enjoy a tiny home? Yeah, there are tiny homes featured in the documentary. Because, that you know, tiny home living is all about kind of reducing to utility and getting rid of extraneous things. Kind of lines up with that mindset. And I think that the documentary does a pretty good job of representing a philosophy without selling you too hard on any particular aspect of it because it's not out there being like you know you should live in a tiny home you should only have two articles of clothing you should never have any pets it's just telling you the various uh aspects of this philosophy and how they might relate to your life if you were to use them well that sounds interesting and to some degree i've been using and granted it's been like what a day or two that I've uh, that I've had these these teachings or whatever in my head, but I'm trying to like ruminate on them and think, you know, what in my life can I use? What can't I use? What's kind of just hanging around that I think is making me happy, but is actually just bogging me down? And this might have something, you know, it might line up a little bit with the problem of work that you're having. Yeah, and I, I definitely think if not the problem of work, then definitely my problem of kind of getting overwhelmed and having these mini panic attacks uh, stems from something similar to that. Just like having all this stuff is having is giving you like moments of pause that make you panic. Like I will be uh, furniture shopping in like a Target and I'll look at something and I'm like, oh, that's a cube organizer. We need something to stay organized. Well, that cube organizer, does it, does it represent me as a person? Is the color right? Does it fit with our color scheme? You know, what I ask myself a million questions about where would it fit, how big is it, what would it look like, and then I just kind of get paralyzed by indecision. That's definitely a problem. I mean, you got to make a decision in moments like that, right? Yeah, in in most cases. Or you could make the decision of, I don't actually need a cube organizer, I just think that I do because it's aesthetically pleasing. So then what did you do? You left the cube organizer there? Yeah, but that was mostly because of the panic attack. But... I've, uh, I don't know, I've been cleaning out my closet, trying to get rid of things that I... It's it's one of those things where the easiest thing for you to do is just affect your clothing with it, because you're like, this is a thing that I have because I think that I would enjoy wearing, but I haven't worn in months, and do not foresee a circumstance in which I would wear it again. Yeah, there was a moment when I was moving across states where I had a closet full of clothes, and uh, I hadn't worn over half of it, and like... I don't know, more than two years. Mm -hmm. So I just went through and I tried everything on, you know, partly for a laugh and partly to see if anything still fit. And I ended up throwing away like a good, I don't know, three fourths of my clothes. And it feels really good. Yeah. Until you move into a new place with a tiny closet and then you realize you still have way too many clothes. That's uh, that's not my problem. My closets are uh, pretty voluminous. Oh, well, we all can't have voluminous closets. We're not all rich, John. Hey, that's why I make the biggish bucks. The biggish bucks that suck your soul out. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not happy about it. But, um... <laughs> and I think that, you know, stemming from that whole cleaning out the closet thing, I'm, I'm gonna try to maybe look at other things in my life and be like, hey, 
do I want this because I need this or do I want this because I'm like chasing these human aspirations, this, this hunger to hunt for things to give me momentary contentment or do I actually need this? Can I get lasting enjoyment out of it? Well, that, that sounds like a good endeavor to partake in because at the end of the day, if you can get rid of all the momentary sort of happiness or joys, you're, you'll be left with only the things that can sustain you over the long term. And that's a scary thing about making any decision in this vein philosophically, whether it's uh, minimalism or uh, asceticism or anything like that, where you realize that you were searching for these things, you were hunting for these things to fulfill a human urge to to like better yourself and get this rare, better statusy thing that fills you with a moderate amount of happiness for a second. You know, it's that thing they say about new cars where if you get a $100,000 car, it's really cool for the first day, really cool for the second day, but a week from now it's just a car. Yeah. You, you have to look at your life and be like, if I'm saying no to momentary pleasures... I have to accept that the only way I can be happy in the long term is to find happiness within myself without things. I mean, I think that's what Buddha was trying to say all those years ago. And that's a that's a scary proposition to accept that you have to find it within yourself to be happy. Because most people, uh, myself included, pretty deeply unhappy with themselves. And you have to try to turn that around. It can be hard to do by yourself, you know. It that's how people get lost within themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, don't be, don't be afraid to reach out to the people around you to, you know, help you find your happiness within yourself, as paradoxical as that sounds. And I think that's one thing that this documentary didn't really cover, but is covered in a, I mean, I'd say that, um, shit, what's that guy's name? Epicurus. I think Epicurus was a minimalist. Who was Epicurus? Epicurus was a Greek philosopher. You'll often hear his name referred to when people are talking about things being like Epicurean. Uh, he is famously kind of misattributed as trying to bring people towards a hedonistic existence, but people's ideas of a hedonistic existence is, oh, eat a bunch of food and have a bunch of sex and life is meaningless. Blah. Yeah, I mean, that's the hedonistic view that I'm familiar with. But the, the hedonistic view that Epicurus wanted people to follow is the belief that, you know, you need very few things. You need to be able to find happiness in yourself. And the only things that are really worth spending money on are things that enrich you and enrich the people around you. Well, that sounds like, that sounds good. I just worry about people getting too hung up on finding happiness within themselves first. Because what happens if you can't find happiness within yourself, you know, then are you just going to be unhappy with everything around you? I mean, I think, you know, perception is reality. Most people are probably capable of finding happiness within themselves. And even if it's just some form of, of self-delusion, you know, I, I don't think happiness is something that you can bring out of yourself like a well. But I think everyone has some base level of capacity to be happy in just existing. And then everything else can be built on top of that. I don't know. I, as a person who, who's, whose happiness is, uh, I don't know. Like, I've been happy before. I've acknowledged that I've been happy. But as a person who's just not generally happy, like, on a, on a daily basis, I, I just, the concept of finding happiness within myself just seems kind of daunting more so than uplifting. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's why, that's why undertakings like this are terrifying. Because it's like, oh, man, I've never found happiness within myself in a meaningful way. So how am I going to do that every day? And it might just be that I'm more, quote, content, unquote, being unhappy because that's just what I'm familiar with and what I know. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's how I've survived. It's a it's a tough thing. It's a tough balance to strike for sure. Yeah, I, I just I don't know. I don't know what it looks like to be happy all the time. I mean, I've seen it, but I don't know what it means. I'm not sure anyone's capable of being happy all the time in a meaningful way, because life's sad. I mean, life is just, yeah, life will bring you down every time, right? Not if you don't let it hashtag meditate. Well, meditation can help you concentrate. How does it keep life from bringing you down? Uh, I don't know. Gonna try to find that out, I guess.
Probably without the meditation thing. Well, I would say keep us posted and let us let us know how, you know, give us, like, progress reports on your journey to find happiness within yourself. Yeah, mindfulness. Yeah, you know, don't take things for granted and appreciate the small things and be impeccable with your word. And uh, one thing that uh, that they keep saying is kind of a soundbite in the documentary and maybe in the book is, uh, you know, the, the two things... You should do in your life is use things and love people and never reverse the two. That sounds like really great advice. And uh, also another little tidbit from Epicurus, which I believe in. Uh, if ever you have the option, uh, barring starvation or your imminent death, if you have the ch- the choice between eating alone and eating with people, always eat with people. Okay. So, but not in. You shouldn't eat two meals. No, don't eat two meals, unless you're a <laughs> hobbit. Well, okay. I mean, I guess the hobbits can eat two meals. But that's good advice, because that, you know, eating with people is always something that can bring you joy, even if, you know, it's just getting out of the house for a little while. Yeah, and I think that if uh, if both experiences can be had for the same price, both of them will accomplish the goal of feeding you, and one of them will feed your soul. And your soul is what makes you happy. Oh, it's all connected. Yeah. Well, it's all parts of you. True. And the body's like one big connected thing. But yeah, minimalism, tough. But wait, can I, can I love my computer? Because, like, that thing brings me hours of entertainment. Oh, yeah, and that's a thing they cover. They're like, you know, when, at some point, they're like, when we go out and we do conventions and stuff, people will come up to them and say, you know, I can't be a minimalist because I have this big library and I love the smell of books and how they feel and, me and my friends, we lend books and back and forth to each other, and, and I just love books so much. And I would say, do not get rid of your books. Clearly, those books are extremely useful to you. Yeah, so so it's like you can make concessions for, like, four materialistic, some materialistic things. Ugh, can't speak. As long as they are truly valuable to you in the long term and not just for, like, momentary little glimpses of meaning. Yeah, you could make a concession for every material thing as long as it's actually useful to you. Because if you're going out and you're you're buying a new iPhone, you have to examine the reasons why you're buying it. Are you buying it because having it will will like build up your your credit, your potential to be happy in yourself? Or is it just something you're getting because you feel you have to, because you feel like people will respect you more if you have it? You know, this is a thing that I kind of go through every year with my Christmas lists for my family, that they always ask for, you know, a list of things that I want, but whenever someone asks me what I want, I always reflect on, well, what do I actually need? Mm. You know, usually around Christmas, it's at the end of the year, so I've kind of I've kind of taken care of my needs for the year, so it's hard to think of, so I end up putting dumb things down, like a, I, I, I got a tablet this year, mm. and you know what I've done with that tablet? Uh, very little. No, I've done. I've done a lot. I've oh. done a lot. I, I I play this tablet for hours on end every day, playing Marvel Puzzle Quest. Nice. Just kind of addictively, instead of like doing I don't know meaningful things like Photoshop dumb words together for advertisements or apply to jo- even more jobs than the jobs I'm already applying to. Mm-hmm. So. It, I guess I could stand to get rid of that tablet, but I keep ranking, like, really high in these Marvel Puzzle Quest events, so I don't know, man. I don't know how useful Marvel Puzzle Quest is to you. You just have to find that in your own self. Is it, would, it be, would it be weird if I put, you know, top ten Marvel pus, Puzzle ranked event person on my, my resume? Would that be a thing I could do? Why are you so good at Marvel Puzzle Quest? Is that what it's called? Marvel Puzzle Quest. Are you the Hulk? Uh, I'm so good because uh, I just have a lot of spare time to keep playing it. Mm, and that's how you stay on the top of those leaderboards. Pretty much. It's not something to be proud of, I don't think. I mean, if you have something to put on your resume, put it. doesn't matter what it is. That's what I've been taught. I, I don't think putting a video game on my resume is a good idea. Uh, someone told me that if you, like, do raids and WoW, you should put them on your resume, because people will be like, that's neat. I mean, I put improv comedy as a skill that I have. Oh, man, I need to put that on my resume. I keep forgetting. 
Well, whenever, you know, in the, in my field, they, they always ask for a good sense of humor. So including that kind of, I think, nails it kind of by default. You know, they very rarely ask for a good sense of humor in my line of work. Well, you're, you work with money. They want someone who's serious and does wow raids. You're right. Oh, I should put my wow raids. Yeah, you know, they want someone who can crunch the numbers and give a 3.3 repeating, of course, chance of probability of light living through the, the, the raid event. And pop some, some DPS on a spreadsheet. Yeah. I think they would want you to play healer, priest, whatever. Um, I think they'd want me to play whatever class takes advantage of people. Oh, so then, uh, I guess rogue? Yeah, rogue. Because they can turn invisible and stab people and stuff? That's basically what my job is. <laughs> Hi, welcome to blah 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 credit union. Uh, poof, I'm invisible now. Well, I mean, I do that every time. <laughs> that's how well, I, you... that's how I lead. Oh, is that your lead-in? Mm-hmm. Ah, well, what do you follow up with? Stabbing. <laughs> you just stab? No wonder you hate your job. You're literally stabbing people. Yeah, they come to me for, like, assistance. And you just stab them after turning them visible. Yeah. Maybe I should find it in myself why that's not working. Yeah, or, or I don't know, within any moral or ethical, like followings you could you could read up on where it says i don't know don't kill a guy uh i'm not sure minimalism says anything about killing people you know i really could do without this arm see <laughs> no i like my arms they 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 help me hold things uh well as long as they're useful to you i have a question what's your question john uh what was i going to say oh how does one how do this is okay, listeners? You don't have to listen to this. Uh, secret Wait. secret zero credits project. All right, a secret zero credits project that the listeners don't have to listen to. Yeah, I don't. I want them to be surprised. How does one stream a video game? It's quite easy, but what platform are you talking about? Uh, probably PC. All right, so on PC you got several options. You've do, do you have an Nvidia graphics card? Um, what do I look like? A popper? What's a popper? A poor person. Oh, so you do have an NVIDIA graphics card? Yeah, the NVIDIA Titan. No, it's, it's not the Titan. I don't know what that means. All I know is if you have a certain card after such and such a year, it should come with the GE... No, what's it called? The GeForce Experience? Yeah, I got that. All right, through that there's a thing called Shadow Play. I got that. Yeah, you can broadcast through to Twitch through that, which some people do. Mm. Alternatively, you can download absolutely for free the OBS. That stands for Open Broadcast Software. Oh, I was confused. And uh, that is a it's a free source. No, what do they call that? Open source, completely free broadcasting system that you can set up, customize. There's a ton of things you can customize in that, and. Uh, all you do is set it up, link it to your Twitch account, hit go live, and then you're broadcasting either a game or your desktop. Nice. Yeah, it actually is very, very simple to stream a video game. Mm. The only thing that's taxing is your, it, it's kind of heavy on your, of course, your, your, uh, internet connection, because you're actively uploading, uh, while you're doing it. Yeah, that might be a little rough. I just, uh, I don't know, I want to do that for our listeners. Yeah, it would be cool. Uh, you know, I, I've known a few people who stream. I've streamed myself, like, three times to very, very, very small success. Nice. If you have a built-in audience like our podcast listeners, just advertise when you're going to be on. And, uh, you know, if they're available, they can tune in and it'll be great. Nice. I want it to be great. Yeah. What do you think of streaming? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Uh, well, okay. Do I, have a, I have a story. You have a story? Yeah, um, I'm not gonna get political. You're not gonna get political. Basically what happened was I donated to the ACLU today and I ended up with a free video game. Now that, that's a story. D does the ACLU give out free video games now? Itch does. Itch? Itch. I-T-C-H is an indie game platform like, uh, like Steam, but for indie games. I've never heard of this. Is this real? 
It is real. You played Scoot Scoot. I thought that was Ichio. Uh, I call it Ichio. It's itch.io. Oh, I have played that. See? You know a Scoot Scoot. Yes, Scoot Scoot's hilarious. You're right. Now, you... How, how does this relate to donating to the ACLU and getting a free video game? I, uh, I donated $20 to the ACLU, and Itch was like, oh, if you donate $12.50, you get a copy of this video game called Kentucky Route Zero. That's interesting. So it's kind of like the the Humble Bundle kind of platform kind of thing? Yeah, but I guess for a better cause. Well, I mean, Humble Bundle lets you choose your charity of choice. I get. I guess the ACLU isn't technically a charity, though, are they? They uh, they let me donate to, like, Project Water when I bought a Humble Bundle once. The Humble Bundle, of course, is a bundle of video games or books that you can buy and then donate the proceeds to charity. Yeah, I take part of their program Humble Monthly, which lets you get a whole mess of games for free for only 12 bucks a month. What? Yeah, I got XCOM 2 for free this month. Do you keep Not them free. forever? Not free, but you, you pay for it. But yeah, you do keep it forever. That sounds like a heck of a steal. Man, if only we had, like, advertisements, these would be great. These would be great. But anyway... However, let's get back to selflessness. Yeah, no, donate to the ACLU, you'll get a free video game. I don't think that's quite the message you want to impart to people. Uh, donate to the ACLU, you'll do good. I mean, the ACLU, they do, what, good work, you would say? I would say they do good work. And so they need money to do that good work, right? I might say that they are needed now more than ever. And their funding comes mostly through donations, am I right about that? That is the truth. So it's like, you're donating to a good cause, they do good work, and they get their funding through donations, and at the same time, incidentally, you're getting a video game for technically free. Yeah, maybe there's a conversation to be had in there about the nature of selflessness, but... Did you ever watch the, the uh, hit, hit sitcom Friends? Yeah, that episode about there being no selfless act. Yeah, Phoebe wants to do a selfless act, but no matter what she does, she gets rewarded in one way or, or another, even if it's just by feeling better about herself since she did it. Which is a, a heady kind of philosophical or psychological concept for friends to tackle, because that is a, a thing in psychology, warm glow altruism. And Well, you know, Friends was really ahead of its time, and by ahead of its time, I mean it was of a time when television actually put thought into their episodes. Weird. And uh, so, you know, they tackled they tackled issues like that, but the, I think the point of it, the point of all this is, you do a good deed, and there happens to be a reward that you weren't expecting when you did the good deed, you're okay to feel good about it, right? Yeah. Also, I did that good deed today, and when I found out that I got a gift for it, I was like, oh, I feel like my good deed is lessened. You still good did good, you know? Oh, no. Objectively, I did the right thing for the right reasons, but in my mind, I'm like, no, I wanted that warm glow. You don't get the warm glow. Instead, you get Kentucky Route Zero, a game about trucks. I think it's about trucks. It's a game I've admired from afar because I really like the people who develop it. They're really whip-smart young fellers and lady fellers. Uh, who are they? Um, cardboard Computer? Never heard of them. Are they real? I believe this is their first video game. Oh, so this is their debut. Yeah, their debut. But I would uh, maybe be interested in streaming that from our channel... Twitch.com slash ZCPC. Wait, is that a thing that exists? Nope, not yet. You, you gotta, you, you should go ahead and make it before you announce it. Wait, Twitch.com slash zero credits. You know zero credits is most likely taken on Twitch, right? I'm gonna keep saying them and then you will edit in the one that we end up with. As long as you actually make it and not me. Zero credits? Wait, shit, fuck. Uh, twitch.com slash zcpcwhj. I mean, that would, that would match our Twitter, so, like, it would be, from a branding standpoint, probably very good. However, you know what, you, you want full words as your Twitch name, like Moon Moon, or, like, Kibler, or, like, Kripanion. Uh, twitch.com slash... John 
Henry, zero credits. All right, so apparently we're going to make a Twitch and uh, (laughs) look forward for details about that. And then uh, John or I could, like, we could stream and stream video games. That would be cool. Yeah, we could stream a video game. Do I need to show my face? That is not a requirement on Twitch whatsoever. Oh, it sounded like there was an and or a but. Well, I was going to say, however, a lot... (laughs) A lot of the more popular streamers do use face cams for whatever reason. However, the one of the more popular Overwatch streamers, his name is Moon Moon, he has never used a face cam and he still pulls in a regular viewing of like over 10,000 people per session. Maybe I will show my face or maybe I won't. You'll have to tune in to find out. There's like three rules of streaming. Rule one is be attractive. Rule two is <laughs> don't be unattractive. Mm-hmm. And rule three is be funny. Um, I've got one out of three down. Rule four is be as an optional rule, and, and that is be good at the game that you're streaming. That's I've, not a requirement, but it does help you get discovered, you know, initially. I've got one out of four down. I spend way too much time on Twitch. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna need your tutelage if I'm gonna make this thing take off. Uh, I mean, I'm happy to help. You know, you know, maybe I could do that minimalist or that Epicurean thing with uh with websites that I go to and only go to websites that actually I don't know <laughs> I actually need as for utility, like Twitch. I mean, if you start streaming on Twitch, and if I start streaming on Twitch eventually, then I would actually need it. So, what you're saying is, if we start streaming on Twitch, you will be only using Twitch for utility, which is a selfless act, but you will get the added benefit of still being able to be on Twitch. Exactly. And once you're on Twitch, there is no getting off of it. Get on the Twitch train. I don't know. Twitch seems like a cool thing. A lot of, a lot of cool people do cool things on Twitch. I've got everything I need. Headphones, a microphone. Yeah, that's about it. Just, you know, play a game oh. and advertise. You got to advertise a lot. Oh. And don't expect to get a lot of, like, a lot of viewers right away. It's supposed to be a gradual climb that takes forever. That's okay. I'm okay with gl- gradual climbs that take forever. That's why. Uh. And really, don't expect any sort of measure of success unless you actually know somebody because. Really, almost 75% of people who get big only get big because they're personal friends with somebody else who are, who is big. Uh, how, uh, I know you. You know me, but I'm not, I'm just like a lurker. I don't even post. Shit. Yeah. I, we have to become the opposite of that. Uh, I don't know, man. Plus, you know, Twitch streaming's really weird. It, you gotta, do either do you do it a lot or you don't do it at all. Oh, what if I do it once in every while, and I'm not, like, looking for huge success, but I just want to entertain people? Then I think that'll be good. Just make sure the people that, you know, you want to watch know that you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And then I get to know all the people, and then I become hyper-famous. Or you pull in six figures a month. That'd be cool, too. You know, we can both be... We can we can stream video games together. This is great. That'd be great. I would like that. That would be fun. A live zero credits video game sesh. Yeah. We'll play video games. Play video games. So that's enough video game talk. Yeah, that could be enough video game talk. I mean, I talked about Marvel Puzzle Quest, so, you know, I am pretty, pretty sure I'm, I'm, you know, video game down. And I mean, I think, uh, I think whatever zero credits Twitch page we end up with will be the best one. Hopefully. We'll see. That'd be cool. Do you have any talking points, Henry? Man, you know how many movies I've seen recently? Twelve. Yeah, probably. Shit. Yeah. How? Name them real quick. Name them real quick. Uh, The Lobster, The Giver, The Secret of Kells, Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation, uh, Cinco, which is Jim Gaffigan's latest comedy special. Any more? Shit, that's like twelve. Yeah, a lot. We've watched. I've lost. We've watched a lot of movies. You know what we should talk about? Which one should we talk about? The Lobster. You want to revisit the Lobster? 
Wait, did I? I already did talk about the lobster. You did talk about the lobster. That's why I watched it, and also because it got nominated for an Oscar for best original screenplay. An Academy Award. Yeah, so it got recognition. I don't think it's going to win the category, unfortunately. But it's really cool that it, it at least got recognized. We'll see. But I want you to talk about Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. But before we do that, let's play a game. All right, let's play a game. Rate everything that isn't Mission Impossible Rogue Nation out of five stars in under ten seconds. Go. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, Lobster, four stars. Uh, the Giver, three stars. Uh, the Secret of Kells, four stars. Uh, Jim Gaffigan's latest Cinco hit, uh, four stars. I think that's it. That's a lot of four stars. I, I don't believe in giving five stars to anything, and uh, four stars is kind of my go-to rating for stars. Big burn on The Giver, though. What a piece of trash. Well, The Giver, I, I I don't know. I never read the book, and I feel like the movie could be better. They shoehorned an ending on it for some reason. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like we live in an age where you can just shoehorn an ending onto something and feel like that's doing it justice. Well, how Jeff Bridges has fallen. So anyway... I, well, uh, actually, no, no, no. Jeff Bridges, I think, did a really great job in that film. How the mighty have fallen. Anyway, Mission Impossible, <laughs> Rogue Lobster, hit him with the sweetness. Man, you don't even know about Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation, right? You don't I, even know about it. The last Mission Impossible movie I saw was Mission Impossible, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think that's three. I, I believe the last... that's, that's three. An explosion knocks Mr. Guy into a car. Look, look, I don't, I don't know if you, you know about the stunt from Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Does it I, involve a plane? It did involve a plane. That's all it, I know. So, in the opening sequence of Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, a plane is taking off with a package, a package of, of nuclear bomb, bombs, a nuclear bomb, and uh, the plane's going to take off, and they're trying to disable the plane using, you know, technology and hacking, and Simon Pegg, is, he, he's got a lot of shots poking at a tablet, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the plane starts taking off, and next thing you know, Ethan Hunt, played by Tom Cruise, is running after the plane, and he grabs the side of it. He grabs the side of a plane that's taking off. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, none of this was, st- none of this was faked. Oh. Tom Cruise jumped on a plane, ran across it while in motion, slid down the side and grab, he- grab, grab hold. He grabbed the side of the plane and held onto it as it took off in flight for real. That's crazy. Yeah. Isn't, uh, isn't Tom Cruise really into doing his own stunts and stuff? I guess he is. He's a real Keanu Reeves. I think you would have to be if you're holding on to the side of a plane that's literally taking off. But uh, um, it's it's one of those things where I'm like, could they have done this with CGI? Probably, but it's very cool that they didn't. But hey, hey, th- th- I mean, that's how the movie starts, John. Does it get that's... better? No. Oh. <laughs> I mean, the movie was okay, but it's just look, look. At a certain point, you just got to realize this guy, Ethan Hunt. Can just do the impossible, which I guess is why it's he's he's on the impossible mission task force or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think I think this this movie is worth watching just to watch Alec Baldwin try to act his way around. I don't know everybody else in the movie. Oh, I love me some Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin has the best line in this movie. Oh, what's that? Um, look. So the main character's name is Ethan Hunt, right? Yeah. At a certain point, Alec Baldwin, who is the head of the CIA, is talking to the British Prime Minister, and he's warning him about how dangerous Ethan Hunt is. And he says, and I quote, Ethan Hunt is the physical manifestation of destiny. <laughs> he says that with a straight face, and no one in the room starts laughing. I, It was the weirdest part of this really fun com- comedic romp through action thrillers. That seems like something his character on 30 Rock would say. It really does seem like something that 30 Rock Alec Baldwin would say. So, do they do they just take it? No one's like, really? Well, he, the, the, uh, there's a spoiler in the next few moments of, of that scene, because it turns out that the Prime Minister was Ethan Hunt on, in a mask. No. 
Yes. That's so dumb. Yes. That's so um, dumb. But look, look, I just wanted on record that that is the dumbest line from any action movie ever. I'm uh, I'm inclined to agree with you. I mean, it sounds like what a six-year-old would say to to try to justify or, or try to hype up like the character that he made up on the playground. So, do you think that's a revision of the original line, which is "Ethan Hunt is manifest destiny"? <laughs> that might be a revision. Do you, Do you think that there was a weird political angle to Rogue Nation? I mean, Rogue Nation, I think it's just a retelling of the sailing of the Mayflower. You know, there were a lot of, like, pilgrim themes that I didn't pick up on until just now. Buckle hat. Everyone is wearing a buckle hat. There's a turkey every three minutes. Oh, wow. And uh, the main bad guy is literally a French person. (laughs) Just a French person? No, that's not even true. It's actually a British person. Oh, I mean, also bad. A British person with an Asian name who with an accent that you can't really understand. Oh, is it? Is it Will Sharp? It's Sean Harris. Oh, that makes sense. Is that is that Ed Harris's son? Sure. I don't know. All I have to say about Rogue Nation is they say that there's a title drop about 40 minutes into it, and then you can turn it off. I love me some late title cards. Well, no, not 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 a title card. I'm I'm. Don't misunderstand me, John. There's a title drop. A what? A title drop. You don't know what a title drop is? Oh, like, looks like this is some big trouble in Little China. Exactly. (laughs) So, wait. Tell me there is a moment in this movie where someone goes, This is a real Mission Impossible 5 Rogue Nation. (laughs) Okay, that's not exactly that. It might be a subtitle drop. It's like, oh, they're talking about the syndicate, which is this this group of bad people. It's like, this is the syndicate, a literal rogue nation of people who go rogue. I forget the exact wording, but it was terrible and bad. Did did everyone in the scene then look at the camera? No, it was not Hot Tub Time Machine. That would be pretty great. Or Hot Tub Time Machine 2. Oh, they also have a title drop in Hot Tub Time Machine 2, or as I call it, HT. T-M-T-W-O. Yeah. That's a nested anagram. I, I, I love, I love title drops. They're great. They're so, they're really great. They're, they're some of the sweetest fruit. I really like it when they come at like the culmination of a film. Like in, you know, the series True Detective, you know how they look at each other and they say, we finally done it. We finally became true detectives. See, I like it when it's at the start of a movie, so I don't have to wait for it. Oh, yeah? Like, uh, like in the movie The Mummy 2, The Curse of the Scorpion King? <laughs> yes. And, uh, Brendan Fraser looks at, looks at a dude and he says, We have to worry about The Mummy 2. <laughs> uh, semicolon shit, colon, The Curse of the Scorpion King. Do you know the you know of the video game Payday Two, right? Yeah. When they started releasing their major content updates, they would have a video, a filmed like movie that accompanied the update when you booted up the game. Mm-hmm. And my favorite one was the introduction of the character, the dentist, who was played by the guy who plays Gus on Breaking Bad. Nice. I don't know the actor name, but you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. And so he gives this whole spiel about, like, you guys are reckless and you need to start planning because the update st- introduced this concept of planning out your missions and stuff. And it, But it ended with, you know, don't get caught. I have to get my payday, too. Ugh. <laughs> it was great and awful. Uh, remember, remember in The Goonies, where halfway re- through, they say, looks like we're The Goonies. I don't think they... Wait, is... The Goonies never mention why it's called The Goonies, doesn't it? Uh, I think it does, and I just told you where it does. Is that true, or is that one of the fake ones that we're introducing? Uh, it's... You remember Blade Runner? (laughs) Yeah, I remember Blade Runner. When, uh... What's his name? Deckard Kane? (laughs) No, I think it's... No, it's just Deckard. Yeah, when... When Deckard looks right into the camera and says, Blade Runner. 
Why is Blade Runner called Blade Runner? Because he run blades. That doesn't make sense. He run blades. Looks like this has been a real sunset under the black rain. I forget the name of that movie. Oh. Under the Black Rainbow? Yeah, I think Beyond the Black Rainbow. Ah. We've finally gone beyond the Black Rainbow. You remember, uh, when, when, uh, you remember that movie Birdman? <laughs> yes, I remember the movie Birdman. When, when Emma Stone looks out the window and sees the comet and says, looks like he's become a Birdman or the unsung glories of ignorance or whatever the subtitle for that movie is. Remember in that sequel to Indiana Jones that nobody admits exists, but we all saw because it exists? That moment where they're like, oh my gosh, welcome to the kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Man, remember that one movie? Uh, Spider-Man 2? <laughs> yes, I remember Spider-Man 2. And Dr. Octopus, played by Alfred Molina, captures Spider-Man, and he says, it looks like I'm Spider-Man 2. Why would he... Because he has eight limbs. Uh, but Spider-Man only has four limbs. He says he's Spider-Man 2, like Spider-Man times 2, two times the number of limbs. Oh, I, I was always confused about why he said that, but, you know, now it makes sense. Sam Raimi's a genius. Sam Raimi? The guy who did, uh, Dr. Robot? Mr. Robot? No, that's Raimi Malik. They're the same person. And, of course, that moment in Mr. Robot where... Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze? No, shit, who is it? It's, uh, Corey Feldman. That's not his name. When, uh... Who is it? I forget who it is. When it's Hans, a Corey. When Hans Christian Anderson... It's not him. <laughs> ...looks deep into Rami Malek's eyes... Christian and, Slater. ...and says, looks like now... ...where the swordfish. Starring Hugh Jackman. Yeah. But it was Christian Slater. Okay. Hans Christian Andersen. Man, this podcast has rapidly gone off the rails. What are you talking about? This is great content. Wait, remember in the HBO uh, limited series The Night Of? When they asked him, where were you the night of? Yeah, and then the series ended. Yeah. Do you remember in, uh, do you remember in Westworld? We're like halfway, halfway into the, the episode. Someone said... The park's name is Westworld. Title drops, man. You know, you know, John, I really think, I really think we've done it. I think we've finally become zero credits. Oh, with Henry and John. The show where we talk about things. And I think that's, uh, that's the end of the podcast forever. Unless there's a sequel... Oh, man, you know there's going to be a sequel. There's always a sequel. They'd be rebooting and sequelizing everything, D-Day. I mean, this one's going to be produced by Netflix. That would be the best thing to ever happen to us. And hey, guess what? What? If you're Netflix and you want to reach out to us, you can reach us on Twitter. Oh, they can? Yeah, at ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com. Send us a Netflix... Send us a wet flicks, but please don't send us a snapatism. And if you want to reach us by email, email us at zero credits is a podcast at gmail.com. Uh, send us an email, please. Uh, <laughs> and Henry made a Facebook page. You can find us on Instagram at podcast pictures, podcast time. Wait, Instagram.com. We have an Instagram? <laughs> if you want to look us up on LinkedIn, it is www.linkedin.com slash look at the way, look at these boys. Look at these boys in their Lincoln town cars. We don't have a LinkedIn. And in the future, join us at twitch.com slash zero creditos. <laughs> All right, that's that sounds good. And Henry made a Facebook page, facebook.com slash give us your tired, your weary, your huddled masses, zero credits podcast. 
We we really go all out with these really long URLs. I think it's the future. You, you know, I thought the future was going to be like, you know, cheese.dad or, you know, <laughs> wallets.bank. Uh, you can also find us on the new Zero Credits official website, uh, www.zerocredits.fish. Okay, that, that there's no way that one's real. It's real. Dot oh, fish if, is real. Also dot you, bicycle. If you, okay, right. Well, from all of us in the two Zero Credit Studios to you, we wish you a good night, good luck, and George Clooney. Yeah, be safe driving out there, and if you're not driving and you're listening at home, uh, live your life. Well, still be safe, because most accidents actually happen in the home, so, you know, make sure you buckle your couch seatbelt, and you make sure all the knives are not visible. Yeah, because everyone knows a visible knife is a knife still. That's true. All right. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night, Henry. Good night, John. Good night, Henry. Good night, Moon. Good night. Goodbye.